Hello, good morning. It's good to be here. My name's Dean. I'm one of the pastors at Alpine. It's been a little bit of a while since I've been here. I don't think that was proper English, but oh well. Um, you're really uh, fortunate to have Jared um, here as your campus pastor. Um, but I know that he is probably um, a little nervous right now because that wasn't planned, and he's really meticulous. So he's got everything planned down to the last second. So he's probably sitting there going like, Dean, please get done on time. Um, but he was really happy today because usually I come here with like 30 slides. And uh, so this morning I only have nine and uh, two of them are like intro and final. So he was really happy to, to see that. He wasn't sure that that was the truth, but it is the truth. So... Um, we are in Mark chapter 6. We've been going through the book of Mark for some time now, and so if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6, and we'll be starting in verse 1 um, today as we go through um, the beginning of um, the book of Mark. And I think most of you are old enough in this room that all of you have experienced knowing someone that was a child who may have been a little bit rough on the edges. Maybe they had a little bit of an issue with the law. Maybe they uh, didn't do so well in school. Maybe you even had the opportunity to babysit them. And then, all of a sudden, 15 years later, you find out that they are a successful physician in your community. And you're saying to yourself, really? Is that really possible? Because it's hard for you to see them as anything other than that little ruffian that they were. Um, and you're definitely not thinking about going to have your surgery with them, right? <laughs> it's not going to happen. Um, some of you are probably young in here, and so you may be the ruffian still. Um, but it's hard to put the past out of our minds, we still carry around a number of preconceived ideas based on past history. I actually had this happen to me to a small degree when I grew up in the church and um, I went off to seminary and I came back from seminary and everybody still saw me as the little kid of my parents. There's just no getting away from that. And that's kind of what we're going to see as we begin to look at Mark chapter 6, and we're going to see that the people in Nazareth were kind of dealing with this issue. So let's pick it up in Mark chapter 6, verse 1. We won't pick it up there. We'll pick it up here. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all of this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed, he's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brothers of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. So Jesus is returning to his hometown, Nazareth. It's about 20 miles west of Capernaum, and Capernaum is where Jesus has been doing most of his ministry, and 
all of the things that we've been talking about in the past several months, most of those things were happening in the area of Capernaum. And so Nazareth was a little bit smaller than Capernaum, and it was also known as kind of a backward, back roads town. And I've had the opportunity to bike across country a couple of times, and so when I biked across country, I would come across some of these towns, and they're these are the towns that you're born in, you grow up in, you get married in, you live in, and you get buried in. You don't go anywhere. It's just what it is. And there's really no expectation that anything is going to change. Every once in a while, when I would ride into one of those towns, there would be a sign, a big sign that says, Welcome to such and such town. And then it said... Um, and here is who is famous from our town. You know, they, they added that. There's one famous person. So they wanted you to know about that famous person that came from that town, even though they no longer live there. But they always want you to know that there's this person from this town that was famous. Well, it was so bad in Nazareth that they had a big sign that basically said, Welcome to Nazareth, where nothing has come from that's been good. Well, maybe they didn't have a sign, but it's the truth. In fact, Nathaniel, one of Jesus' disciples, when he found out that Jesus was from Nazareth, what did he say? He said, is there anything good that can come from Nazareth? But news of the small town kid making something big of himself was getting back to Nazareth. Jesus' fame had spread through Galilee and beyond. Without a doubt, news of his miracles and his teachings were getting back to those in Nazareth. And so Jesus returns to Nazareth, and I'm sure a lot of people in the community had questions about Jesus and who really Jesus was. And we, we get a clue of that in our passage here. One of the immediate questions they ask is, well, isn't this guy just a carpenter? Isn't that what he did when he was here? What endorsements does he have in order to be able to be speaking to us about the Old Testament and that he is actually the fulfillment of the Old Testament? Where is he getting this wisdom and where is this power for these miracles coming from? So in their minds, they didn't really think he had any business in this arena because he was just a carpenter. And then the next question they had was, well, isn't this the son of Mary? Well, this kind of goes against the Jewish custom because they always introduce somebody by being the son of the father, not the son of the mother. And so probably what they were asking is, who is this guy's father anyways? Who is he? Now, this is a small town, so... There were rumors from day one about Mary and how she conceived, and I'm sure those rumors continued. And so there were questions about who Jesus' father really was. And then they asked the question about his brothers and sisters. So what they were insinuating was, what's so special about Jesus? There's nothing special about all of his brothers and sisters. They're still here. They're not doing anything abnormal. 
So what makes Jesus any more special? And if they were really theological about it, they would be saying, wait a second, he's saying that he's the son of God? And how does the son of God have brothers and sisters? Do you remember the show To Tell the Truth? Anybody remember that show? I guess some old timers. (laughs) All right, so I'm aging myself. So I'll describe it a little. So there's this show called To Tell the Truth, and there was this panel of kind of stars or whatever. I think there was four of them. And they had contestants, three contestants, and they would ask these contestants questions um, to try to figure out who was the real person. Like, who was the person that was the astronaut, or who was the first famous bull rider, or whatever. And so this panel would ask them questions to try to determine who this, you know, the individual was. And so I just would imagine, just imagine if these panel people had never were the Son of God, God incarnate, three people there. Now, do you think that they would have really picked the right Jesus? Because the right Jesus would have been telling them, well, when they asked questions, he would have been saying, well, I come from a hole-in-the-wall town. I have no skills except to work with wood. I have no formal religious training. I have a questionable birth. And I have a bunch of brothers and sisters that run around town. Do you think they would have picked that contestant as the son of God? I don't think so. The problem those in Nazareth were having was that they had some preconceived ideas about who Jesus was and who he was not based on their history. And they were, stru- they were stuck in what they knew. And what they knew was, this was a kid that grew up here, nothing really special. So what more is there to believe? May I propose to you that we often, we too often, have some preconceived ideas about Jesus. Who he is and who he's not. And we too may be stuck in our thoughts about him and what we've learned about him and what has been told to us about him. Maybe we have some past history that gets in the way, or maybe we are offended by some of the words that Jesus says. You know, when we come to Jesus, we have to come to him for who he is, not who we want him to be. Colossians 1, 15 and 16 says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Maybe you have some preconceived ideas that prevent you from seeing this Jesus as just described. Question is, will you too be one that refuses to believe? Our passage goes on. Mark 6, verses 4 through 6. 
It says, Then Jesus told them, A prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. You know, familiarity often results and breeds blindness. When you're familiar with something, sometimes you can't see straight. Um, okay, I'll, I'll confess. I watch American Idol. <laughs> now, I tell my wife that I do it because I'm studying human behavior. <laughs> I don't think she really believes me. But I think tonight's the finals, right? If Let's not get off on that. But anyways... But anyways, one of the things I'm fascinated about on that show, The American Idol, is that it's just amazing to me that, especially now when you're close to the final, you know, last week was the final five or whatever. So you have these five people that millions of people, millions of people are voting for. Seriously, millions. <laughs> They're voting for them. And just a couple months before, they were in their little, little towns uh, playing music to less than 100 people that didn't think that they were special at all. They had grown up with them, nothing special about them, and yet here they are. So what, what changed? How did they all of a sudden become almost a star. Well, it's not because of the familiar people that knew them. It's because of the unfamiliar people that got to know them and could see and hear that they were different. And those unfamiliar people and crowds would look at those familiar crowd from the, from the town and say, what is wrong with you? Couldn't you see that this person was an amazing singer? Couldn't you see that? You, you must be blind. Well, we see Jesus marvel at two things in the New Testament, two things that he is completely amazed at, sort of like these unfamiliar people. He's amazed, first of all, of a Gentile's belief. And then he's amazed here at the Jewish unbelief. Those in Nazareth were so familiar with Jesus that they couldn't see him. It wasn't because Jesus was incapable of doing miracles there. It was because they did not believe he was anything special. Jesus had throngs of people following him throughout all of Galilee, from all the way from Tyre and Sidon. They, they came and saw him, and, and yet those in his hometown couldn't see him. They didn't honor him because they didn't see anything special about him. In fact, they kind of blew Jesus off. In a parallel passage in Matthew, Jesus says to the people of Nazareth, he says, you undoubtedly will quote this proverb, physician, heal yourself. 
do miracles here in your hometown like you did in Capernaum. They wanted the miracles without faith because it required nothing of them. They didn't have to do anything. And because of this unbelief, Jesus performed few miracles there. I can't help but think, well, did he need, did he need their faith to do the miracle? I think the answer is no. But then there was no reason for the miracle. Because if he did the miracle and the person was healed, they still wouldn't believe in him. And Jesus healed people as really a sign that he had the power to forgive their sins. And so it led to nothing because they didn't believe in who God was or who Jesus was. Question. Have you become so familiar with Jesus and with the church that you can't even see who Jesus is? Would Jesus be amazed at your lack of faith to work in your life? Would he marvel at your disbelief? Are you currently stepping out in faith in any area of your life? Are you honoring him in your life by trusting in him, in your relationships, in your finances, with your physical health? Our lack of faith in Jesus limits the miraculous that we see. Moving on, Mark 6, 7 through 9. And he called his 12 disciples together and began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick. No food, no traveler's bag, no money. He allowed them to wear sandals, but not to take a change of clothes. Wherever you go, he said, stay in the same house until you leave town. But if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have, been, you have abandoned those people to their faith. The big idea here, don't be surprised, is that you're not always going to be accepted just like Jesus was not always accepted. Jesus was rejected, so don't be surprised when you're rejected. And he was rejected by those he knew closest. They even rejected the truth in what he believed and in his faith. Doesn't mean that we don't speak. You know, what's interesting is that Jesus went to the synagogue in Nazareth and taught, even though they didn't believe. Jesus gave his disciples some instructions on how they should go. First, they should go two by two. We have a problem, I think, in American culture today where everybody wants to be a lone ranger and do it themselves. And usually that means they are left alone and they crash and burn. Jesus wants you to have support because you're going to become discouraged. When you're rejected, you need some support. So make sure that you're not trying to do it on your own and that you have a support system. 
should go with authority. Authority does not mean that there's forced submission. It means that you have a right to enter the house. You've been deputized. You're, you're the speaker of the one that sent you, and that should give us confidence. You should go taking nothing. There was a, a rule from the Jewish rabbis that you could not enter the temple with your staff, with your shoes, with a money bag, because it may give the appearance that you were engaged in other business. So Jesus didn't want the disciples' motives to be questioned. In addition, by traveling light, you had to depend on God for your substance each and every day. Our motives need to be pure, and our dependence needs to be sure. And then we get to shaking the dust off. What's that all about? Well, don't let rejection stick is what it's all about. Shaking the dust off the feet as they, as they left was something that the Jewish people did as they exited a Gentile city that they had traveled through. So the meaning here was that if a message was shared with the Jews and they did not believe it, they were to be treated just like those Gentiles. It wasn't for the disciples to take it personal if their message was rejected. Those who rejected the message needed to know they had determined their own fate, were to do what they could do and then move on and not let the rejection stick. Our passage ends today with verses 12 and 13. It says, So the disciples went out telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and to turn to God. And they cast oil. You know, the disciples could have taken the position that my gosh, if Jesus was rejected, what chances do I have? <laughs> I got no chance. I'm going to be just rejected all of the time. They could have taken that stance. Instead, they went out knowing that they would be rejected. I like this verse because it, it says that they told everyone. But it doesn't say that everyone was healed. It doesn't say all the demons were casted out of everyone. So they didn't just go to a certain people that they thought was going to believe. They didn't pick and choose. They didn't go where they were guaranteed a warm welcome. They went and told everyone. And they knew they were going to be rejected. And they knew they shouldn't expect anything else because Jesus was rejected also. You know, in a real way, when you sign up with Jesus, you sign up to be rejected. You realize that? Is that your experience? Have you felt rejected? for living a life for Christ and for sharing the truth? You know, if you, this is, this is important. If you haven't, if not, then you've probably moved into an apartment pad in the city of Nazareth and become a little too familiar with Jesus. 
and with some preconceived ideas of what he can and he can't do in your life. And as a result, he has no power in your life. I think it would be wise to consider that. And if you have been rejected and you are being rejected, then guess what? You're in great company. You're in company with God Almighty. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. Um, Lord, I pray that it hits home um, in our lives. Um, Father, I just pray that we just don't become too familiar with you. That we don't see you as special. That we miss out on what you want to do in and through us. So Father, I just ask that you would open our eyes. I'd ask that you would speak to us. I ask that we would see you clearly. And we would know you more fully. In Jesus' name, amen.